I really wanted to start writing about things that really matter to us. And really it's, it's about shining a light on women who work in motorsport, not just Formula One. And not just women now, but people of diverse genders, of diverse races, people who are disabled, everyone on the spectrum has an opportunity to work in motorsport. And that's not something that's been represented in the past. Welcome to the Passion Bites podcast. My name is Shuba and I will be your host for today's episode. A couple years ago, I found myself having conversations with folks about how to navigate change, find meaning, and pursue their passions. I chatted with people like this. So I am a mechanic. I used to be a competitive hip hop dancer for eight years of my life. Then I ended up working at Medieval Times for the last three years. I am a budget coach uh, on Instagram. I think a lot of us have redirected our dreams and our ideas of what we thought we were going to accomplish these like next two years, three years. Everyone has a unique thing about them. We need to share powerful narratives with people, especially during today's climate and world. And there you have it. Each of these conversations wrapped up into little bites of inspiration to motivate and empower you so that you can get out there to find fulfillment and practice your passions. Now, let's get into it. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode. I hope everyone's week has been going well. Happy Sunday. In today's episode, I'm joined by my friends, Samantha and Sarah from GridClick, which is, in short, a space for anyone and everyone to talk and learn about motorsports, whether they've been a fan for 10 days or 10 years or 10 minutes. As Samantha and Sarah like to say, it's a very inclusive space for everyone. First things first, this episode was actually recorded back in 2022 when my podcast was still called Keep It Spicy. So you might hear a couple of references to that in this episode. Also, ironically, it was recorded this time last year. So just after International Women's Day. So I found it really fitting to drop this episode this week as we just celebrated International Women's Day last week as well. And third, this episode basically covers how they got into motorsports, what inspired them to create GridClick. And if you heard my last episode, I mentioned there that I was inspired to change the name of my podcast after interviewing two people who also had a little bit of a pivot themselves. So if you have a listen to that and then you listen to this episode, you'll definitely be able to connect the dots because this is the episode that inspired me to do that. A couple of things have definitely changed for GridClick as I know that their team now includes a third member, their producer, Melissa. But if all of this is something that you're super interested in listening to, I won't keep you any longer. Let's jump into the episode. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's guests, plural, this is the first time ever on Keep It Spicy that I have two guests at the same time. Thank you so much for joining Samantha and Sarah. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. These are the co-founders of GridClick. Before we get into introductions and stuff, we're going to have a quick lightning round. And I want to preface <sighs> everybody listening that I, so this episode is going to be about motorsports motor and racing and the amazing work that Samantha and Sarah have been doing. We're going to start by a little trivia. So I'm not into... <laughs> motorsports so I do not know whether these trivia questions are going to be hard or easy but here we go it's time for the lightning round a moto gp bike can accelerate faster than an f1 car true or false I'm gonna say true on that Really? I was thinking false because oh. F1 cars go at very dangerous speeds for people who don't have the proper gear and protection. I guess like the, uh, we have, sorry, 
you asked us for a lightning round. We're going to take like 20 minutes to like answer one question. You know what? I'm going to revert. I actually think F1 cars, do they accelerate quicker? I think like right off the spot. I had this conversation about like F1 versus like Indy versus NASCAR. Oh, sorry. What's the question about accelerating or like top speed? A MotoGP bike can accelerate faster than an F1 car. Oh, then I'm with Samantha. Yeah, absolutely. That is correct. So in terms yes. of acceleration from zero to 200 kilometers per hour, a MotoGP GP bike can do 4.8 seconds, while an F car, F1 car does 5.2 seconds. So you are correct. Formula One vehicles consist of about 12,000 parts. True or false? If you're a Haas car, it's like 12,000 plus duct tape. <laughs> Sorry, I that hard. So um, just for those who don't know, like Haas is like sort of the budget of, and, and it's, they, they run very lean. They're actually, people call them the, the team that I think, yeah, that they're, they're lean and, and economical, 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 frugal, economical. Oh my God. That's the word. Um, 12,000 parts. I'm going to say false. See, Samantha is right. It's taking us forever to answer these. We're not very late. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say true because I don't know. Why not? Right. Mm -hmm. Okie dokie. So Samantha is correct. It, <laughs> it is false. Formula One vehicles consist of about 16,000 parts. Oh my God. That's insane. There That's is wild. absolutely no room for error when piecing an entire F1 vehicle together. So I believe that. Yeah. <laughs> In 1958, the first female driver participated in an F1 race. Do you know her name? She's not no. Her name not, no, no, what's her name? Not Maria. Oh, my God. We were literally talking about this two days ago. Yeah, because it was also international state. <laughs> like, we need to talk about this. I'll give you a clue. She participated in five world championship, world championship Grand Prix, but earned no championship points. That's not De Felipe's, right? Is, De, is it? So was De Felipe's the one that got the championship points and wasn't the first one to race? I, 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 it's the Italian woman, and her name's escaping. I'm just, by, by the odds, I'm going to say Maria. Both of you are correct. It is Maria Teresa de Filippis. I'm sorry if I'm butchering her name, but you are both correct. Sarah, this is why we were just like compliment each other. <laughs> one of us was first half, one of us is back half. <laughs> and I think like this brings up a really good conversation and like something that like women feel so intimidated by. Preface this show, but like I was like, I got like heat through me like just now when I was like, like a flash round I don't know everything about Formula One and I think women as fans too who try to participate you know they'd be like I like Formula One and then someone like a diehard fan would be like yeah well do you know who won the championship in 1971 and you're like uh no I don't know and they're like jokes on you there was none and you're like wait what like oh my so gosh like, trickster it's questions. really weird yeah trickster questions so this was good you guys are doing great so far well, I think Samantha has 100% test rate right now. I think you got everything one correct. Well, but, like I mean, my that, points are Sarah's points. Oh, true. true. Well, you don't want my points because I'm at 66%. So <laughs> I, won't, I won't share that back with you. What? So the MotoGP bikes, what country primarily is dominating the manufacturing? So like basically what country's bikes are dominating like the MotoGP? I'm going to say Italy. Samantha says Italy. I have negative zero clue. And I don't know why my first reaction was Japan, which is probably wrong. Well, like Honda engines. That makes sense. But like Honda, that's what I was thinking. So yeah. that's my guess. That's and guess. Sarah is correct. Japan. Oh! It's Japanese. It's <laughs> mainly like, yep, it's Japanese bikes, mainly manufactured by Suzuki, Honda, and Yamaha, which I did not know. I thought Yamaha made pianos. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my God. Uh, which country was banned from motorsport racing between the years 1958 to 2007? Oh, I'm going to say Russia? Cold War? I don't know. No idea. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what a country was banned. I'll give you a clue. Basically, there were a lot of like crashes between the drivers and like which would like harm the crowds because like all the like debris would be like thrown in, into like the crowds and stuff. So basically, they, they banned it temporarily because they just were like, this oh. is too, uh, this is too unsafe. Oh, was it a specific race? Oh, true. Well, there, okay. Another clue is there was a specific race where like a really bad crash happened. Would it be Imola? Uh, no. Mm-hmm. This is a hard one. Th- this is a hard one. <laughs> Confirmed. <laughs> Confirmed. I have no bleeping clue. I'm not. Yeah, that was really close. Really close in the geographic. It, should I give you the answer? Is it Sochi? Oh, like you mean Italy geographic? Yeah, like a country. Yeah, like you said Russia, right? Or did you? Yeah, say I Italy? said Russia, and I said like, Italy. Both oh. are both are wrong, but both are close. You're you're thinking like, like Europe. Europe. I'm thinking the Europe where most of the races are. <laughs> Well, there is um, currently no race in Germany, but if it was not, if it was only banned for 2007, I'm not. You have to think of ones with like people are close to it. I'm going to give up. Starts with an S. Switzerland. Switzerland. There was a race in Switzerland? In Switzerland. Apparently the 1955 Le Mans race was like one of the most like catastrophic like crashes in like all of motorsport history. So basically like, yeah, it was just like just such a giant crash that like 83 fans were like killed because of like the after effect of the crash. So the Swiss government was like, okay, this is unsafe. We're banning it. And then only like the ban was lifted in 2007. Did wow. not know that. That's cool. No idea. Next question. Regular vehicles have rear view mirrors thanks to racing drivers need for them. True or false? I don't know if this is like a chicken or an egg question. Because Formula One cars have, no, they don't have rear, they have side view mirrors. They have side view mirrors. They don't have rear view mirrors. So I'm going to go false. False, yeah. The answer is actually true. So the first ever known rear view mirror on a car was mounted on a Ray Heron, or like I'm, I'm butchering everything, but it was on a racing car at the Indianapolis 500 race. Um, and then, yeah, oh, the, apparently the, the racer... Yeah, the racer himself like made the mirror and he claimed that he got the idea after seeing like a horse-drawn cart without, sorry, with a mirror on, like mounted on it. So he was like, I called dibs on this. And then since then, rear view mirrors have become like a norm in like regular vehicles, but like more for safety than like racing. Any trivia pursuit night <clears throat> coming up, we're there. Like this is <laughs> A Formula One driver can lose around three kilos in one race, like of weight. True. 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 That is correct. It is true. <laughs> My last question. Many famous drivers started as go-kart drivers. Correct. True. Oh, yes. Lewis Hamilton, Michael Schum- Schumacher. Schumacher. <laughs> if you know, that you is- know. <laughs> I love this. Well, you guys did a good job. And thank you for humoring me. Sorry if those questions were too hard. You are correct. Like, like anything in the world, like, just because you're a fan and you're into it does not mean you necessarily know every single thing. You're not a robot. So I appreciate you guys playing and you actually did quite well. Yay. I'm like warmed <laughs> up now. Let's go. Let's <laughs> 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 <like> go. <laughs> Start your engines. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we've got all ourselves all warmed up. We've got the engines revved. Um, so I want to kind of just like get into introductions of both of both you, Samantha and you, Sarah. So I'm going to start with you, Sarah. I peeped your LinkedIn earlier when I was prepping for this interview. You are the founder of, sorry, you're the CEO of Sea of Blue Flags. And what I found interesting was that you mentioned like in your LinkedIn that in racing a blue flag, like you, when you pass your competition, you wave like a blue flag to get ahead of it. 
Um, but I noticed that your like blue flags is not limited to just racing, even though I figured that your interest in racing probably inspired it. And you also founded the Women of Grand Prix, which I know that you're also like affiliated with Samantha. So first of all, go both of you. But Sarah, can you tell me about how did you get into motorsports? How did you get into racing? And then I'm going to add one more to that, which is what's something like about yourself people might be surprised to learn and something that they cannot actually look up on the internet to find out about you since like clearly I just looked up on like everything I'm basically revealed is something that I googled about you. Yeah well hi um my name is Sarah. Apologize for my raspy voice. I was at a concert last night so my voice is gone so if I sound like a horse I apologize. Yeah how did I get into motorsport? I actually got into Formula One a number of years ago. I had a friend actually female friend, interestingly enough, get me into it because her boyfriend and her boyfriend's group of friends had gotten her into it. So she was visiting me in New York one weekend and um, she was like showing me all these videos on YouTube about why I should watch it and like tried to get me into it. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. This is kind of cool. And then the next time I went to visit her, I went to her house where like this group of like 15 people were watching this race together. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, this is really interesting. Um, and so I was um, lucky enough to have a, that group of people kind of bring me in and teach me the ropes because the thing with Formula One and a lot of motorsports is that the sport is just very complicated and there's a huge learning curve. And unless you have someone kind of there to hold your hand and teach you, it's very difficult to learn on your own. Um, you know, that is why Drive to Survive, the Netflix show docuseries about Formula One has begun, become so popular because it's just been used as a teaching method, basically, for a very complicated sport. So I got into it a number of years ago as just a casual fan for a long time. Never kind of had it as like a key personality trait, which it definitely is now for me. And then about a year ago, which kind of intersects with how I met Samantha, is um, I joined Clubhouse, which is that, you know, app that was kind of a flash in the pan of basically people across the world could come together and talk about any topic, any subject, and it couldn't be recorded. And it was just there as like a live communication method. So when I first joined, I looked to see if there was a community for Formula One fans and there hadn't been one created yet. I went back a few weeks later and then there had been a group created. And so when I first entered, it was relatively small. There wasn't a lot of people there, but Samantha was there. And, you know, there's this room of probably a hundred people, but only about five people speaking and one or two of them were females. You know, it, it wasn't a lot of women that wanted to speak up and you would see them in the audience, you'd see them there, but they didn't have the confidence to come up and speak amongst a bunch of men. And so Samantha and I, of course, being the people that we are, were like <laughs> the two females of a few others who had come up and started speaking about it. So we got together and with uh, two other females and we saw, okay, there isn't really a community for women who want to talk about this and don't feel safe talking about it, not safe, but don't feel comfortable talking about it in front of these group of men. So we created Women of Grand Prix and kind of the rest is history into like how I just became a cat. Like I, I came from a casual fan and became pretty obsessed. If you ask literally any one of my friends, um, uh, some might say it's an unhealthy obsession. I think it's fine. So um, that's kind of how that came to be. And then about almost eight months ago, maybe six to eight months ago, um, I was kind of rethinking like the whole my whole job thing, you know, the great resignation, everyone was rethinking what they were doing for their jobs. And at that time, I had a few of my companies I used to work for reach out and try to hire me back. 
but I knew that I wanted to go into racing in some degree for my next job. And so I kind of decided to do it on my own. Um, so I started my own corporate communications agency, which long story short, I basically tell CEOs and companies what they should be doing with their company. And I do a lot of investor relations, which I know that Samantha has a past in as well. So I mean her and I just immediately clicked in that sense. And we really are like two halves, which is wild. So yeah, I started my own corporate communications company. I moved down to Miami and just like you know, started this whole new life um, doing communications for people in tech, in racing, carters, as we were talking about before, um, because that is a huge pipeline for F1 talent or just racing talent in general is a lot of kids start off at carter as carters. So yeah, very, <laughs> I apologize for rambling, but very long story as to how I got into motorsport. And then something that people don't know about me by just looking at me or they can't Google about me. When people first meet me and, you know, they see that I own my own company and I founded my own company, it's, I guess, assumed by people that I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and that was just never, ever my intention. Like, I have always been a follower. I've never been a leader. I never once imagined myself in a position to start my own company and do my own thing. I'm so lucky to have my, the friends that I do and the family that I do that when I kind of was noodling about it, they were like, heck yes, do it. Don't even think about it, just do it. So I think that that's something that people don't know, just they can't Google that. I never imagined this for myself. You know, eight months ago, I was living in an apartment in Philadelphia working for a nine to five and hadn't thought twice about it. And six months later, I'm in Miami and I have my own business and it's just like wild. Something else that I guess people don't know about me, but has nothing to do with any of this is that I used to pole vault in high school, but that's completely oh. relevant to life. So I like this. We got our like, you know, subtle, wholesome revelation. We got a little spicy revelation. <laughs> I like it. Thank you for sharing that. And like, please don't apologize for you. We're not even rambling. Like, I want to learn about you. Our listeners want to learn about you. And you know, like, that's what this is for. So we love like, I love the character development, everything we just heard about. So yeah, thank you for sharing. Moving on to Sa Samantha. So speaking of the great resignation, I mm -hmm. saw so Samantha, I know you're basically a marketing associate at... I work for a real estate Hazel investment View. firm. Okay, I, I was yeah. going to say an investment company. I was just looking for the mm -hmm. name, Hazelview Investments. But I just want to bring this up because I saw that you're also a little bit of a writer. Or maybe mm -hmm. content... Like, you are a content creator, obviously. But I saw a little bit of a writer. I'm going to read out, like, a little... Oh, God. I picked out from one of your articles. <laughs> yes. Wait, sorry. Before you jump in, can I just tell you, when Samantha and I first met, she had sent me, or she had, like, had just, like, published one of her blogs, and I think she, like, put it on her Instagram story or something. Like, I don't, she didn't even send it to me. I think she just, like, published it somewhere, and I read it, and I, like, literally started crying, and this was, like, right when I first met her. Like, I had, like, barely known her, and I think I DM'd her, and I was like, oh, my God, Samantha, like, I don't know you well, but this is amazing so oh i'm excited for this this is oh my gosh that is beautiful oh, i just oh yeah tears just like sprung to my eyes oh my god Aww. that blog i've like the the like website whatever subscription has like run out and i was like i've had a moment now where i'm like do i pay for it again and start writing again maybe i should maybe this is my sign but yes oh my gosh go ahead. i i this is backstory that i needed to hear wow this is beautiful <laughs> it just is kind of in line with like what you mentioned about the great resignation, Sarah. Mm -hmm. So it goes like this. 
I was constantly hitting dead ends, always exhausted and never exceeding expectations. I felt overextended. I had developed insomnia, anxiety, unhealthy eating patterns if I ate at all, and that probably exacerbated all of the above, plus the mysterious, not so mysterious, heat rash on my neck that wouldn't go away. And the reason I picked this article was basically you were tragically laid off in 2021. Correct me if I'm wrong, you mentioned that this was um, a restructuring, but was this like a pandemic layoff or like a like separate? So I was actually, that was actually 2020. So you want to hear, this is actually kind of a wild, like when I think back on it, I'm like, this is, can I swear on this? Yeah, yeah, of course. This is fucked. So this is kind of like my, my hero story, like my origin story. And um, I had been laid off for the second time, I'd say probably in like two years. And at this second job, so this was this was like right before the pandemic, like January, uh, February 16th, 2020. I had asked for a raise because I was doing literally like three, four different roles. Um, I was a coordinator role. However, I was like making decisions of like a manager. I asked for a raise. I got pulled into like my CMO's office and she, you know, was like, oh, I heard you want a raise. And I was like, yeah, I think I belong. I think I deserve, I deserve one. I didn't say deserve. I, I think I warrant one. You know, I've been here for a year. My, my role has grown exponentially. My duties and my tasks and the decisions I'm making are really like far past my title. And a female superior, my CMO, turned around and said to me, I think you're overpaid. Oh my goodness. Oh, And my I stayed goodness. silent and I knew, I knew at that moment, I'm like, I'm fired. Like I'm done here. And then three weeks later or something like that, like very close afterwards, I had my one year performance. I walked into the boardroom and it's like an old school, like law firm situation, like walked into this like very beautiful boardroom. Like imagine like a long, like boardroom, wooden table, like solid table. And there was a folder on the table, my manager and someone else I didn't recognize clearly from HR to tell me that I had been let go. Oh my God. They decided to do that on the day of your performance review. Yep. Which is ideally when you're supposed to actually be getting a raise, if not for like your performance, then for like inflation purposes. Yeah. I was just like, I literally laughed and I was like, okay, all right. And they're like, we're going to walk you out. I'm like, don't fucking come near me. Like, you know, so I walked out, I got in the cab and I like called, my dad was like the first person I called. And he's like, how did your performance review go? And I was like, I'm in a cab on my way home to my apartment. And he's like, fuck. And I was like, yeah. I'm pretty sure this is because they didn't want to pay me more money. I'm going to keep this story short. They literally gave my role or like, as I understand it, the majority of my role to the intern that I was working with. And she would call me being like, I don't know how to do this or text me. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I can't tell you. First of all, they shouldn't be putting this kind of work on you. You, you don't know how to do it. And second of all, like, this is a sacrificial lamb situation. I cannot help you. And you will understand why one day. All this to say was that I started this like very real journey of understanding what am I doing wrong? Am I picking the wrong places? Like I always had this idea of like, I need to work in private sector. I came from public and and non-for-profit, but I was like, that's where all the glamour is. That's where everything's going. But I was like, what, why do I want that? What are my values? And I realized when I didn't align to like what my values were, I kept finding dead ends. I kept finding like work structures that didn't fit me. So I literally started interviewing companies and people who worked at companies. And that's really how I ended up where I ended up now. Because when I was interviewed by my manager, my manager now, some other individuals, they just seemed like such a team. They seemed like they were having fun. They ha- they were took their work seriously, but you know, like there was support and and I've never like looked back since. So, Aww. and I know that like, if I were to lose my job again, like knock on wood, no, like it's okay. Things will be better. I will pick it up again. But yeah, that's where that blog comes from. 
It was very cathartic, actually. I haven't read that blog in ages. I feel exposed. It was beautiful. Thank you so much for like sharing this in like this vulnerable, like, you know, moment. I appreciate it so much. My like segue into choosing into like reading that article is that you talked about how like the next place that you work at, like you're going to be different and, and things like that. And I kind of was just wondering, like, is that what kind of inspired you to basically create all the social platforms that you're on? Because I know you're, I've seen you on F1 Geeks, which is a YouTube channel. I know you're on what, like you're with um, Sarah on Woman of Grand Prix. Uh, by the way, so I, I feel like I said that wrong. It's Grand Prix. You just <laughs> fine, yeah. Um, and then also with Grid Click. So I'm just wondering, is like this phoenix rising out of the ashes? Is that's what is inspiring you to give back to your community and especially like to be that woman that like not just other women necessarily, but like others can look up to? Yeah, I think so. That's actually a very interesting connection that you've made that I didn't really consider. Third, third person outside. Yeah, literally. Like this is like this omniscient perspective that I don't think I've ever considered. I think like, you know, if I took all those like Myers-Briggs or whatever, it always said, and like, I think my, my star sign is Aries. So it's always like leader. Like I, I literally like run through the door sometimes without thinking about the repercussions or the challenges or like any sort of strategy. And I'm working on that. And I think if I think of myself in a professional sense, I love working with a team. I love learning from people. I love, I love giving back. And the whole involvement with like F1 Geeks, the way that Women of Grand Prix, which then became Grid Click, like, so we did start Women of Grand Prix, Sarah and I, and, and several other individuals. And then we, we sort of graduated to Grid Click. Women of Grand Prix were going to be slowly sun, sunsetting. But what that really was, was that, you know, I was stuck at home during COVID working my butt off, really having no social life because we were all scared at that time, really having, you know, just this, this interest in, in motorsport, but being so alone in that, like I didn't, you know, besides my, my dad and my uncle and my brother, all men, I didn't really know who to talk to about this. I had my one girlfriend that I could. And then I joined this platform clubhouse, you know, Sarah describes us being the only two women talking on that platform or not only, sorry, there were some other women, but like someone put a mic in front of us and like we took off. It was just, I think it became almost a little bit bigger than us. I, I, you know, I mean, Sarah, please jump in here, but I felt like it was almost like a mission. It was something greater than us. We, we saw, we saw the landscape. We saw that there were women there and we kept asking ourselves like, why aren't they speaking? Why aren't they speaking? And we kind of connected and we sort of started this forum. Women of Grand Prix started on Clubhouse as a room. And that's like a room is like just sort of like a, if you think of like Twitter spaces or whatever, that discussion basically. Uh, and we would host discussions about different things and women would just join. And then we thought to ourselves, how do we catalog this? How do we keep sort of like evergreen content here? And we graduated to Instagram and, and Sarah, all the while we're doing this is also going through like a complete upheaval of her life which was like fantastic to witness, I think, and such a good time for her, but like still was on it. Still, we were still content creating, still like, and, and we wanted to marry our interests. Like, even though we work in marketing and comms, like I don't get to write about the things that I love all the time, right? Like I, I have to write about like how funds perform and don't get me wrong, I, that's fine. Like I, I, I play with, I make it a game at work. Like how many click rates can I have? And like, whatever, that's where I get my thrills. But it's like, I, I really wanted to start writing about things that, really matter to us and really it's it's about shining a light on women who work in motorsport not just formula one but we've kind of extended it to almost any anyone we can get our hands on like we had a woman from indie car who's part of a whole female pit crew like that was like well mostly all female and that was like spectacular that was such a cool chat so really this came out of like us wanting to use our skills to do what we like doing best which is writing 
which is talking, which was gathering people together. And um, people followed us. People just joined us. I mean, do you have anything else to add? Well, I just think it was so funny when you just said like it's something bigger than us and it was you know this mission that kind of because that's exactly what it was. Samantha and I actually said no at first. Like we the two girls approached us to start Women GP with them and each of us was like we don't have time. Like we have our full-time jobs, we have all this stuff going on, like we don't have time. And then I don't even know what flip switched, but suddenly she and her and I'm like, okay, like we'll pilot it, like we'll we'll try it out. And a year ago, now it's it's just become what it has, which is again still so far beyond us because it's not about us. It's about mm-hmm. elevating women's voices and it's about giving women a space to talk about their careers because we didn't see that. We didn't see that growing up. We didn't have that. And so we're trying to publish that for others to see so they know that they can work in motorsport and not just women now, but people of diverse genders, of diverse races, people who are disabled, everyone on the spectrum has an opportunity to work in motorsport. And that's not something that's been represented in the past. No. And it's been, and they're trying, I think, you know, like, I think the sport in general is trying to elevate that. But I think Sarah and I and other contact creators are just flying past them. And I think what's great is that like Sarah and I are part of this like content creator community in in motorsport and in Formula One. And I think she and I actually have like a very uh, special niche is like, you know, we want to talk to people, we want to elevate them. And I think that like what's fantastic is that we've now grid click. We really, we wanted to move from women of GP, especially like, especially since it was called women of Grand Prix, we wanted to take away the exclusiveness of that. We realized it was almost limiting. Really, we want to talk to people, folks, people who are not represented. And so that's why we changed to sort of grid click. We took the gender out of it. And as Sarah said, we want, we want to talk to, to people who are doing great things in the industry that maybe no one really knows about. And like, you know, our pipeline involves a lot of women doing really badass things, like a mechanic, there we have in our other in our pipeline we have someone who's working with all black um african european drivers like what like that is amazing our pipeline is just filled with like different perspective different folks just different experiences to bring to the table and i think you know sarah kind of nailed it this is because we've never seen women in motorsport we never thought that that was a possibility for us to work in any capacity like i didn't know i could become a mechanic for like you know a car with 16,000 parts you know made up of 16,000 parts just bring it back so that means that there's others out there. And and this is, you know, I feel almost scared sometimes in this space because I'm afraid that I'm going to get it wrong. And that's okay because there's so much opportunity for Sarah and I to learn and and we hope that our audience also learns with us and that we just open up. I think that just opens up dialogue. We just want people to talk. And I think, you know, again, we we started this because we saw that women weren't comfortable talking about it and then we grew to learn that a lot of people weren't comfortable talking about it. Because as Samantha alluded to before, there are a lot of people in the sport who almost don't like new fans and don't like new people who are joining and who don't know as much as them or haven't been involved for as long or, you know, whatever it is, right? And so we wanted a space that everyone who likes motorsport and everyone who wants to talk about it, whether you are a woman or whether you are a new and you don't know anything and you want to learn, 
it's it's a space you can come and learn and come and hear from people and come and hear from diverse voices and not just the voices that are being spoken about in Drive to Survive. I mean, even today, one of our, our colleagues, one of our friends, Tony Cohen-Brown, she has a number of podcasts on her own. She is just an amazing human. Um, she recorded every single time a woman spoke on season four, the last season of Drive to Survive, what they were talking about. If they were, if, were they talking about a man? Were they talking about their career? Were they talking about something that was completely irrelevant, right? And we know that there are voices there. We know that there are women who work in F1. We know that there are people of different nationalities and races and disabilities who work in F1, but unfortunately they're not represented in the public eye often. We just wanted to use whatever platform we could to try to elevate those voices because me as a girl, I didn't get into motorsport. Well, A, because typically a lot of people get it from their families, typically their dads or their brothers, right? And my dad and my brothers were not into motorsports and I thankfully actually learned from a female, which is a very rare experience. And so if we could be that for others and if we can show others that these jobs exist, that these roles exist, that these people exist, that these voices exist, then I mean, I think we've done our job, right? And this is not something that we get paid to do. This is not something that's part of our nine to fives. This is not even for me owning my own company in the pseudo racing sphere. This is something that we're doing on our own accord because we think that it's worth the time. And over time, we've come to learn that a lot of other people think that too. And a lot of women, a lot of different people have come to us thanking us for things that we're doing when really we're doing nothing besides trying to get people to talk to us, essentially. It's it, right? And we're trying to get them to talk to us and go on our IG lives and just talk to us about their story and share that story with people. And, you know, there's something that's, it's unfortunate that that hasn't necessarily been something that's done well not done well but not something that's like been popularized and so it's great to see that starting to come together and it's great to see not only the support of our community but you know the people outside of our community who are watching what we're doing and they're saying okay that's interesting you know it's really cool and again like it's it's not about us it's about the people that we're talking to and it's about our community seeing that this exists i love this like so much this is like so wholesome and empowering this actually like perfectly addressed one of the questions that I was going to have, which was surrounding empowering women, but not limited to just women. Basically, because like I personally like feel that like by supporting others who either don't have the voice or the confidence or the like, you know, feel like their limited knowledge is a barrier. I feel like we are actually like building success stories of like other women or other amateurs, like actually being like, no, like actually so-and-so person who would, who you would have like never like typically or stereotypically like expected to be thriving this sport actually is. So maybe it's just like a matter of like you not being aware of it. That is what's making you think that, oh, I don't belong here either, or I'm not like good enough, or I like, I don't know the answers to all the trivia questions. So I'm not a real fan, you know? So I really love that story. And I, I do think like from my own like layman perspective, like motorsports is a male dominated sport. So I think that it's really amazing that you folks are like, you know, taking this initiative to, you know, empower and, and like respectfully elevate others in the sports. And then so that it's easier and it's, it's a community that's more inclusive. Yeah, I think that I think that's amazing. And I think that, you know, your vision and your values of like why you find it important to share and empower others in this community, I think is like, it's very, very wholesome. Like moving on to that, like a bigger question I have is why motorsports? And I'm asking because like Formula One is, it's like 
basically like seen as like the pinnacle of like motor car sport but it's like high it's like a very risky like extremely accident like life-threatening prone sport not to say that like other sports aren't life-threatening either like they're all like but so many sports are but it can basically like cause death instantly like say you crash into something even though i know these are like trained professionals and like you know like they train not to do that but you know, it's just like there's a lot of probability of dying or like being seriously injured. Like I watched this one Chris Hemsworth racing movie and the guy got his like face burnt off and stuff. So like, why do you so what where's the thrill? So like, I'm hearing what you're saying. It's thrilling. But then I'm hearing about all these like, you know, it's like very, very life threatening too. So just curious to know, like, what is the thrill? Or is that where's the thrill? thrill? I feel like you already answered that question. Right. (laughs) The thrill of watching people like possibly race the last race of their life. It's so interesting because I think with that level of danger comes so much innovation. And I think that's what's so interesting about the sport. I think like, I don't, you know, this is my opinion, but I think that it's one of the sports with the most innovation out there right now. There was a huge crash. 2021 was it? No, 2020, where a driver had this like catastrophic, like every kind of terrible that you think could happen, happened. Literally his car went into a wall and it was like kaboom. And there was a specific type of innovation that came very much in handy that saved his life. It's called the halo. So it basically goes, it protects basically the, the head and other parts of your body, but that specific type of innovation which was like so opposed maybe five, six years ago, saved his life. And that's because something in the area of that kind of danger inspired someone to think, hmm, maybe we should be protecting their heads. Maybe we should be protecting this part of the body. Mm-hmm. And so not only mechanically is it so innovative, and, and I know I mentioned Haas, which is a driver team, uh, it's a team, a car. They're the economical sort of like team on the, on the grid, we'll, we'll say. They're also innovative in their own sense. They, you know, it really comes down to dollar and cents. You know, there's a lot of budgets here, but when you trash a car, that's money out of your budget, out of your bottom line. So mechanically, it's very innovative. Just even the drivers themselves, how they they train the dedication it's so inspiring uh, i think the level of you know death also probably appeals to a certain personality type which i think is really interesting and also appealing so yeah for me i would say what's really interesting about the sport what's really fascinating is is the innovation of it all of everything of it i've never been able to intelligently speak about a sport ever uh, maybe i haven't applied myself to it but like formula one is very appealing and I'm really happy to participate in that space to talk about it the little that I know but Sarah's right there's not that much knowledge out there it's not really super accessible but I think that's my like long piecemealed answer no but I think that that's exactly right and the hope is every single year these cars are getting safer and safer and things are getting safer and safer and it's a lot less likely that people are going to die like when as Samantha just mentioned about that crash in 2020 his name was Roman Grosjean he was a Haas driver so he was in the car that technically could have been the least safe because of their budget but there are so many rules, so many regulations, kind of as you said earlier too, is that every single piece has to be correct. Those 16,000 pieces have to be correct because obviously the goal is not for people to die and people haven't died in quite a while, thankfully, right? And so things like the halo even saved Lewis Hamilton's life last year when Max Verstappen almost ran him over, right? And it's, it's these things that Roman Grosjean, can, his car went into the barrier, split in half, gas tank pumped, everything went up in flames for, I mean, I know when I was watching it live, like forever. I was sitting there in shock 
because obviously that's not something you expect to see and this is all live on public television and like as samantha said it felt like forever for us to know that he was okay because in that situation you don't think that he's walking out alive and in the end you know when you do the playbacks and you do all the analysis he was in the fire for 27 seconds but he came out almost perfectly fine like he had a burnt hand he had like a pretty badly burnt one hand he had a little bit of burnt of another hand he had some other burns but i don't think that he even like broke a bone like he slammed he broke like a finger i think maybe yeah like the yeah. innovations that they have put together to keep these people safe you know they're in fireproof suits the only reason why he burnt his hand was because there's a little gap between his suit right and so the, even last year on two separate, three separate occasions, these people are going into these barriers at 50 Gs, 50 G forces. Like in any other arena, you absolutely would be dead. But in an F1 car, you're fine because all of the science that goes through and all the innovation in that. And I think that that is what a really, really big part as to why this is so interesting is you're seeing all these new things happen every year. And even this year, specifically for 2022, there's a ton of new car regulations that have come into play, kind of new budget stuff that just, it's almost so interesting because sitting down to watch a race, yeah, it's exciting. Like, yes, you get to like see all the overtaking and you get to see who's going to beat who and the drama for the world championship, but almost like at least for me, the exciting parts of the sports happen in between the races, happen behind the scenes. It's when these new regulations are announced. It's when someone switches teams. It's it's all of the stuff that happened behind the scenes as well that I don't really see happen as much in other sports. I mean, in every sport you see people move teams, but that's kind of it. But in Formula One, there's news that comes out every day. If not one thing, three things of like, really important big news about this sport and so you're constantly engaged and especially if you're engaged to the level which Samantha and I are which again could be slightly obsessive that's that's a conversation for another day I'm okay um, with that okay yeah thankfully you know we've surrounded ourselves with people who are just as obsessed as we are so we don't seem as crazy but it's it's a sport that keeps you engaged and that's yeah outside of the three total days of racing end up coming together in a race weekend. You know, there's practice on Friday, there's qualifiers on Saturdays, there's a race on Sunday, and then Monday through Thursday, there's all these exciting things that happen. And then you just do it all again, right? And they're in a different country. Again, for me, something that I love is that they're constantly showcasing new cities and new countries. I'm very lucky and thankful that as a kid and growing up, I got to travel a lot, but there's still a ton of places that I haven't been to. Or like, or even I've been to Monaco once, but it was like over a decade ago and I get to see these people go to Monaco every year. Like that is so cool. And I get to see these people, like even one of our favorite racers, his name is Sebastian Vettel. I'm gonna talk on his behalf. You now he's a huge advocate for human rights and for saving the planet. And he's like goes above and beyond his way to talk about that. Lando Norris goes above and beyond his way to talk about mental health. And so you're just seeing so much of the world physically, but also almost like quote unquote mentally, emotionally in this sport, because it's just so engaging on so many different levels. And that's outside of like, when the lights go out, lights out and away we go is, you know, there's this set of five or six lights. And then when they turn off, that's when everyone starts racing. No, that arguably like your heart is in your throat because 
everyone is so close together and they're going around this tight corner and you don't know who's going to overtake 10 cars in that corner. You don't know if it's going to be crash. You don't know this and the other thing, right? And so not only is the sport itself so intense and almost like adrenaline producing, but just outside of that hour and a half, the sport doesn't stop. You guys, that should be on a t-shirt like or something. <laughs> the sport doesn't stop. Yeah, grid click on in the front and on the back, the sport doesn't stop. <laughs> there. All right, new merch, Samantha, let's do it. <laughs> Bike shorts galore. Oh my gosh, no, I think that was like very beautifully said. And like, yeah, I think that like while you guys were describing all of this, I was like, yeah, you, I was like, you know what? I would never have thought about that. Like, I would have never thought about like the innovation aspect of it. I would have never thought about like, in fact, like I didn't think about like, oh yeah, there's still like more motorsport stuff to talk about outside of the actual like race. So what is something about motorsport that you would like to debunk for folks who don't actually, we don't actually know what happens. Like what's something that you think is like people just like categorize motorsport to be, but actually it's like, no, there's not quite so. That it's for white wealthy men. Historically, it has been for white wealthy men. I mean, especially when you're going to a race, these races cost a crap ton of money to go to. And that's not even including travel time, right? And so historically, a lot of the people who attend this race our people can afford it. And I think, I don't know the exact percentage and I'm sure Samantha does, so correct me, but I think it's something like 98% of F1's fan viewership will not attend a race or have yeah, It's like 80% will never. And I'm going to actually build on that. Sarah, what you just said, not only that it's not for like white rich men, but also like women can drive. Women can race. Yep. Women can be mechanics. Women can like, or we should just say like whomever, not even just women. But like right now, I think one of the biggest things in the sport is to the biggest one of the biggest conversation is there's a there's a women's only league when do we pipeline them into like the mainstream formula pipeline mainstream sort of like grid let's just say so i think those would be the, the two things that that we want to debunk there's amazing female drivers out there in all areas of motorsport rally indie like nascar formula as well like i don't know who started this rumor but like women can drive and women will drive and we will continue to drive yeah, I would say those are the two things that we would debunk. And and I think that one is so important because on mainstream TV channels, you will rarely see the women's league. You will rarely see women. Like I know sometimes when the women's league, so, you know, the women's series, I should say, not women's league, um, do race on some of the same tracks and times as Formula One, but it's usually after their race or, you know, when people have already watched an hour and a half and they go off for their days or three hours and they go off for their days. It's like, we deserve our own time slot. We deserve our own day. We deserve, you know, and I know that it's more than that. It's just logistics. But if you increase viewership, you increase the normalization of women racing and eventually let's hope they get into the mainstream formula one sorry i just i'm just thinking while samantha says it is you know there are times in which the w series races on the same track on the same day and yet we never hear about it we don't know about it unless you're an active follower of w series like why wouldn't they talk about that more in formula one because we know that some days formula two drives on the same day and on the same tracks and that's spoken about by formula one but they don't talk about the w series in that way and I think that that's unfortunate. I mean, for every track, there's always these like on track experiences and W series for the most part will have like a booth or a stand or an area. Right. But 
if you're not at the race, how would you know that? If you're not at the race, how do you get involved? How do you get integrated in that? And then adding on to what Samantha said as well is, I don't know if it's a rumor or whatever it is that some people seem to think that women just can't physically compete against men in this sport. When we know for a fact that that is not true because Samantha Tan competed against 11 other men two weeks ago in the Ferrari challenge and she won her heat. So like, we know that this isn't true. It has been- Also, shout out to our Canadian girl, Samantha Tan. (laughs) It's been proven time and time again that women can get in a seat and drive. And actually it's probably better because the less you weigh, the less your car weighs and the faster it can go. So, oh, I love this science talk. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's crazy. It is backed it's by so, science. <laughs> it's so crazy to me. Our hope is that people can not only think that they can come in and work in Formula One and they can go to Formula One, they can be involved in Formula One if they're not rich, if they're not white, but they can actually also be racers as well. I love this. Oh, thanks. Thanks for like sharing this. These are definitely things that like I would have never thought about. And it's also like so empowering to hear like as a woman myself to hear all the things that you're saying. I'm like, you know, like women are cool. Women are badass. Driving is not limited to one gender. You know what I'm saying? So like why? It is ungendered, if anything. Like Yeah, exactly. And then I think what's really important and like I can keep going on um, or we can both keep <laughs> we can talk about this for like three hours if you let us so but I think it's also equally important to acknowledge those that are doing it right in the industry as well and I think part of that and it's something that's not really spoken about is like sponsorship of female drivers there's a driver Tony Bredinger she identifies as Arab American super badass her sponsors are like Huda Beauty exactly and she has like hair brands and whatever and I'm like whoever is on the marketing team for Tony whoever's on the sponsorship side of these brands are looking where women are looking like they know like women are women like driving so they like huda beauty's like let's get in touch with her i don't know where first contact was but like how dope is that like and then also puma just did like a huge sponsorship with the w series like the women's series those are the ones doing it right they, they see where women are putting their dollars like women it has been proven that women have a lot of spending power they are doing it right so i think like with that acknowledging that it's also like Sponsors, get involved. Like, I would love to see, like, a Fenty Beauty on a car. Wild, right? Let's go even farther than that. Like, are there any, like, female entrepreneurs that have companies that would love, like, in tech that would love to put their names on something? Like, let's get it going. Well, that's a great conversation. And I feel like, I mean, like, being optimistic, like, hopefully if it's happening now, then hopefully, like, five years from now, like, I'm sure there's been a lot of, like, in, like, the history of, like, women in any sport, like, not just, like, motorsports, but, like, tennis or anything, like, we are a lot better now than where we were 15 years ago. So the hope is that, yeah, is that somebody listens to this podcast and they're like, you know what, those are some good points. And then Puma accidentally clinks on this episode or like Nike or whoever, or Lulu. <laughs> Lululemon, another great brand. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. they're like, you know what, that's not a half bad idea at all. Um, so we can only hope that, you know, it like things only get better from here. But I, yeah, I really appreciate the insights. I think these are extremely like valid points. And I love when you were like, women have spending power. I you love do. that. It's not wrong. <laughs> You're not wrong there. I was at Sephora the other day and I was like, oh, let me go check out how to beauty. Like it, it works. It literally works. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, I'm going to transition to more of like how you guys take on your responsibilities for grid click and women of Grand Prix. Like, just like the, the the content creation aspect of it, like 
So I know that, you know, having a co-founder is always nice because you have someone to lean on. You have somebody to bounce ideas off of. When I actually started this podcast, like the first season was with a co with, with my friend, with a co-host. I feel like having a co-founder, like as much as there's the support, there's also like, there can be like tiffs sometimes. So I'm just wondering, how do you go about your responsibilities without like annoying each other in terms of does somebody like make the posts and then somebody like publishes them on Instagram? Like how do you go about your responsibility? So something that Samantha says to me constantly and she could not be more right is that we challenge each other in the best way. Like we are constantly challenging each other, but not like fighting. It's not tips. It's not like, well, I think this and you think this and like how we chat about things is we're constantly checking in while we're like, I think that this is a good idea. What do you think? Or I want to do this. What do you think? Like, I think that this would be really cool. I'm going to do it because I know that you're going to be okay with it. Like we've also learned over the past year, kind of how relationship works and when relationships don't work, you know, we, we both have been involved in, um, you know, organizations and in spaces where those relationships haven't worked. So I think we've learned from that. Samantha just always says it best. Like we challenge each other, but in the best way. And we are always, coming at what we do in a space of not like, am I right? Or, okay, I really want to do this and I don't care what she says or whatever it is. It's we, we have those challenging conversations, but we joke with each other while we have it. Like if you see our texts, it's like we text each other like 15 times in a row. <laughs> like It's not like we like, I don't know. It's just, I, I feel very insanely lucky to have met this girl and not only to have met her just in my own selfish way, but to have created and cultivated this community with her because I don't think I could have done it with anyone else. (laughs) I actually have tears in my eyes. Sarah brings me to tears in the best ways, probably like once a week because she's just like singing my praise and that's it's like, wow. At the basis of it all is like we have some serious respect for one another and each other's opinion. I can rely on Sarah that she'll never catch me off guard. And then when she or I do something without consulting one another, it's within mandate, if you will. And and I'll get to that in a second. But like, we always give each other the respect and the consideration to involve the other in a decision that we think, like, if I think of something and I was like, eh, I should probably run by Sarah with it, like 100% should run by it. But we I think what, what works with Sarah and I, and I think like with any relationship, working, romantic, partner, like let's get a little deep here, is that we're rooted in the same values. We have the same values. And I think that that carries us really farther than just having the same interest. As much as this is a forum for us to exercise our creativity and exercise things that we're not able to do in our everyday job. Like I know for myself, this is a great way for me to like extend creativity and think of ideas differently. And we're also rooted by our mandate. Like this isn't about us. This is about what our audience wants. We always ask ourselves, what would they think is interesting? Or should we comment on what's happening right now? There is, you know, given what's happening right now with the war in Ukraine, there was a Russian driver with who's been sanctioned and Sarah was like should we comment on this and I was like let's talk about this let's workshop this and Mm -hmm. in the end we thought no because it's not part of our mandate it's not Mm -hmm. you know I think it's more about us and our feelings about the political strife that's happening Mm -hmm. um, rather than adding value to the to the dialogue that's happening right now Mm -hmm. and furthermore like I think in the more logistics we're kind of still working that out like my workload is my workload and Sarah's workload is her workload and we you know, the, the, the thing about having a co-founder is that we're able to pick up the slack where the other one drops the ball. Or like, if I'm not able to create something, I'm there to review it. Or if Sarah's not able to create something, she's there available to review it. And we'll make that space and time. And we're going to ride that boat till we reach the end of the stream or something or like fall off 
the cliff. I don't know, like, you know, over a waterfall. But I think like right now that's working for us. And I think also about like, I've never been in an enterprise like this before. I've done group projects in school, but, um, and how those have worked out, but it's really like, it's a, it's a lot of trial and error. And I think it's about finding someone who's willing to do that trial and error with you. I think when it comes to logistics as well, I mean, thankfully, Samantha and I come from a very similar professional background. And so we know what goes into creating a campaign. We know what goes into doing some of these things already. And so, you know, I think when we work on this, it's really, we, we try to keep it organized almost like a company would. Like we have a content calendar, we have a pipeline document or documentation. Like, I mean, does it sometimes fall through the cracks? Yeah, sure, but like, that's fine, right? And we always have each other to, I mean, just as Samantha said, to, since I'm working for myself, my schedule is more flexible because some days I might be working, you know, I, for a client at 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. and then I wanna take a break. So I work on great click stuff for an hour or two in the middle of the day because I can do that because I have clients that for separately, I'm not sitting at a desk staring at my boss across the screen, right? And and then there are days like this entire weekend, I was completely MIA and Samantha was able to step in and do things, right? And so it's, we balance each other in such a great way and we're always asking each other, okay, what can I do to help? What, what do you need help with? What's What's best value right now? And it just comes down to the fact that like, we just think so similarly and that is so rare to find in someone. Like that is so rare, but then we think so similarly, but then we challenge each other. Like, as she just said, I wanted to go on this like huge rant about this whole thing because I was just very emotionally charged about the entire situation, right? And Samantha took me down a notch. She was like, breathe, no. And I was like, you're right, you're so right. Like, thank you so much. Like, it's, it's like things like that where, you know, we just compliment each other in the best way and we challenge each other in the best way. And I don't think that you can just find that in anyone. <laughs> We've been with managers who are like, now. And you're like, but why? Just listen, hear me out. And like, I think that's also the nature of our work. You pitch ideas, you pitch ideas, you pitch ideas. You will get turned down a lot. And it teaches you to, it humbles you first of all. But also what it teaches you is like, okay, maybe I'm not going about it the right way. Or maybe this is actually a terrible job, a terrible pitch and it doesn't, it's not aligned with the mandate. Mm -hmm. And like, for instance, I had an idea for Sarah today and she was like, okay, I like it. Just like flesh it out more. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. Like she gave me the like respect and also consideration to be like, I trust you. Let me see more of it before we go forward with it. And I think that's like the best answer you could give someone consideration is the best thing you can give so yeah it sounds like you guys have a lot of trust obviously like the shared values that you mentioned and then it seems like there's also a lot of honesty where if like mm -hmm. somebody's not on board with with an idea it respectfully like communicated that like maybe this is not the best idea and it's not because yeah. you know like it, there's a lot of honesty and like trust and a lot of communication it sounds like and I think which is yeah it's very important in any relationship working or like personal relationship to be honest about how you're feeling and then of course like deliver it respectfully so I think that's really amazing and I agree with you like it's really hard to find somebody to do like you know have like your passion project with especially if it's a passion project because yeah. it's mm -hmm. if it's a passion project it's your baby this is literally like I this clearly does not pay the bills, but I love it so much that I want to give it my heart and my life. 
So I think that that's, you know, that's very, very beautiful that you guys like, you know, thoroughly enjoy this and have found like the best way to like the best system for each other. So you guys made Women of Grand Prix. I've taken a look at it. There's like, so it's, there's history there. You guys have been at it for a while. Like if I may ask, now that you've switched to grid grid click, which I know, like, I know the reasoning behind it, which you mentioned is like, you're trying to take away the the gender aspect of it and make and open it up, broaden the audience a bit more. But like for Women of Grand Prix, you've worked so hard to create this audience, this like following for it. You know, look, I thought many times maybe I should like change the name of my podcast or maybe I should start a new podcast. But what always stops me is, oh, but I worked so hard. I made like all these episodes already. I already have like, you know, all these listeners and followers like oh man, like I'm going to have to start that all over again. And of course, like your loyal fans will follow you wherever you go. But yeah, I just was curious to know about like the story there and like the risk there and like still like why you proceeded to do it. And like, like, did you have the same thoughts as me? Like, did you have the same thoughts of like, oh man, like we're going to, we're basically starting all over again. Like we're going to have to build everything again from scratch. Like, so can you like tell me, and yeah, can you tell me a little bit more about the transition from Women of Grand Prix to Great click. This is hard hitting journalism. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's a great question because yeah. I can tell you, Samantha and I probably went back and forth for like three weeks, maybe. A I, think, month. I think the conversation was happening even before that. Yeah. Like we had, we had, I think we had been thinking about it for a while. You know, when it finally came down to the decision, we actually tapped two of our colleagues in the arena and we were like, are we crazy? Like, what do you think about this? Because we had worked so so hard on not only building that community but just kind of like the the wonderful thing about women of grand prix and what is now grid click is that our community is just so tight-knit like friends have made friends people have met people people have gone and gone to grand prix with each other because they met there right and so we had oh my sorry i have to stop you right there oh my god you had people meet on your platform and then go to actual grand oh my gosh that is real life and it's just that is something special to us and that is something that will continue to be special to us. But I think the main crux of it was it was important enough. It was yeah. just important enough. And thankfully, we still have the Wood of Ground Play platform. We can still talk about what we need to talk about there, even though, you know, we're not active on there at the moment. We can share, like, even for this livery report that we did on Great Click, we shared that with the Wood of Ground Play community, right? So we're not stopping the conversation that needs to be had, but we thought that it was important enough to open the doors to create a wider community in that sense. I think, yeah, it was like a very hard decision, I think. And we just felt like we outgrew women of GP in name and mandate in, I think, all forms. And I think any marketer or someone who works in the Marcom space would understand that, like, follows are great. Like, literally the day we decided to switch over to GridClick, we gained, I don't know, like 300 followers in one day. I don't know what it was. Well, we do know what it was. Like someone had mentioned us on like a Reddit thread and we got literally like 300 followers, which for organic content, like that is unheard of. Like, and Sarah was like, oh my God, she was, she, she was freaking out. I was freaking out. I'm like, do we do it today? Do we do it? And then I took it as like a good sign. I was like, this is an omen. But I think followers are great, but what any Marcom person is really interested in is engagement. If you have like 500 followers who are severely engaged in what you do and in your content, that's a win. I'd rather have that than like 20,000 and only like 0.05 that are engaged. We had so much confidence in the fact that like we have been doing it 
we can translate it over again. And this time it's going to be so much more authentic. This time it's going to be so much more freeing, I think. Like I think with the name change and the new like account, it gave us so much more liberty to to do different things and to tap into different areas of marginalization in the sport as well, like to reach different audiences. And I think that's ultimately what Grid Click is, is about reaching and, and, and amplifying voices that are not seen in the sport. So it was a very tough decision. <laughs> Don't regret it. And I think like with everything, the thinking about it is much tougher than actually doing sometimes. 100%. Mm-hmm. 100%. I mean, even what Samantha said is we actually, that day, we ended up doubling in size. Not, we didn't get trade followers. We went from 800 to like 1500 or something. Oh God, there you go. There you go. <laughs> it was like, we had at that day, we had doubled in size. And so you could, if you could ask Samantha, I think like I was, I was very overwhelmed because we knew that we wanted to launch this thing. We were going to launch it in four days with this livery report, like with this really cool piece of content that we had created. Unique piece of content. Unique piece of content. We're not talking about someone else. We're not talking about what something else is doing. We're not talking about a piece of news. We put something together and we were so excited about it. For me, that was just a huge moment of like doubt. While Samantha is a huge moment of opportunity. And again, like it comes in in this partnership in which while I was there basically having a panic attack, <laughs> so like, saying, this is amazing. This is going to be so good. Like this is an open. And I was sitting there like, holy shit, like what the hell are we doing? Um, and so I think that that, but I am a hundred percent with Samantha. Like once we actually did it, that was it. That was like the hard part was over. hundred percent with Samantha, zero regrets because we are loving what we're doing right now. And we are loving folding in so many different, more people in the narratives yeah. because yes, we had this amazing group of women. And obviously there were some men who were also very involved, which is amazing. Right. But now like when we posted that livery thing, which was like, no, ended up being a week after we went live. We had something like probably 300 followers because we had just launched. And that piece of content, I actually checked two days ago, it has 376 shares, like not likes, not comments, but like people actively sharing that content with others. And so it's just incredible how many people really just do find value in that mantra where everyone should be included. You know, we shouldn't just be carving a special space for women, but we should be carving a special space for everyone who wants to be there. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I love how this tied in with what Samantha was saying earlier, where it's like, you're both on the same mission. You know, you both have the, and like what you said, Sarah, where you both have like aligned values. And at the end of the day, like, uh, like these are all just like technicalities that will lead us to this bigger mission. So I like love this story. I myself like as I mentioned earlier I've been dabbling with like oh like should I start something else start something and I feel like this is a sign for me that I'm like okay if there's something in there that I'm like thinking a bit too hard and a bit too long on then maybe I should just do it and doing it will actually be a lot easier than I'm like making it out to be in my head so I yeah I love the story I love that so confidently both of you are like we did it and honestly no regrets best decision like it's like so reassuring to hear that. And I hope that, you know, our listeners can take that away too. And this is a sign for you guys too. So like our listeners, if, if, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh man, should I do that? Yes, do it. <laughs> so I love this so much. And my last and final question to wrap up this episode is what advice do you have to somebody listening to this episode or people listening to this episode who also feel like, okay, I have a mission to do something too, to start a club or a book or anything that some, that somebody listening to this, that's like, I have a dream that I kind of want to achieve and I want to do it for so-and-so 
purpose, like bigger purpose, bigger picture. What advice do you have to them on getting started and building a community? You know, like how, how can they do what you guys are doing? I think there's a lot of hesitation when people have this dream or have this thing that they really want to do. But in my experience, I always said, well, I don't have enough time for that. Like even when Samantha and I were invited to do Women of Grand Prix, both of us said, oh, we don't have time for that. Right. And we almost beat ourselves before we allowed it to beat us. Like we assumed our failure before we even tried. I think that such an underrated term that people, at least I'm hearing recently say is like, the first step is literally just to start. And just what we were saying earlier is the thought of planning beforehand versus actually doing it. The thought is so much harder. The pre-planning is so much harder. You know, when you run your mind through the what ifs and, oh, I don't have time. Oh, I don't, you know, I'm not going to do well at it. Oh, I don't know anything about it. And I have, I have no experience. That's not going to get you anywhere, but trying and failing, at least you learn something. Right. And so I know that we're going to go into quotes later, but one of my favorite quotes of all time is you're not starting from scratch. You're starting from experience. You always have experience in something and you're not going to get to where you want to be until you start. And so whether that is you have five minutes a day to spend on it or you have five minutes a day to learn about what you need to do to spend on it, right? Use that five minutes because if you don't, then you're not going to get anywhere. If you do and you don't get anywhere, at least you learn something, right? So yeah, I think that, you know, it's so basic, but literally just freaking start because if you don't, you're failing yourself before anything else. Just to keep building on that, I think Sarah interrupt me or correct me. You you really spoke about like that that phase of like just going and like the mechanics of it just start. I think I'm gonna take like a step back from that. Like I'm the pre of that. And it's about like when you are rooted in your this is in my opinion, if you are rooted in your values, if you know what you stand for, what you like, what you need, what you want to do, if you are rooted in those values. The people that think alike to you or have this, not think alike, but have the same values, they will find you. Your community will find you because you will be making choices that automatically direct you to those people. And you will find that in like career choices. You will find that with like partners, with friendships, with like, like people you create with. Sarah, like you need to have an idea of who you are and what you stand for. And then from there, then you take the steps. Like, like Sarah said, you just start. What I think started for me was like just joining Clubhouse. That was like the first step. Mm -hmm. The second step was like, the little step was like speaking up. You know, I was like shaking. I remember like texting Sarah. I'm like, oh my God, I'm shaking. Did I sound like an idiot? And she's just like, no, you sounded amazing. And then And then we started our own room and then we started like pitching people to come talk to us. And like, here's another quote, like big achievements are made from small steps. It it all starts like with simply like making your bed in the morning. Like it sounds wild, but it sets your day up to like succeed and like accomplish other things. So like something that small is what I mean to say can set up your whole day. So like downloading an app reaching out to someone on LinkedIn, just sending like a little pitch letter. All these things culminate to something bigger. But yeah, it's about being rooted in what you want, who you are and your values. And when I work professionally with clients, I always say like, they'd be like, we want to achieve this and this is what we need. And I'm like, whoa, let's go back a couple steps. What are your pillars? You know, and from and from your pillars, you're able to decipher, nope, this doesn't fall in line with my pillars, so I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to put energy towards it. I'm not going to put my time or resources. And what you find that you're left with are, app, are opportunities that are made for you. 
you've cultivated them. And it sounds a little woo-woo, but like I always think of it as like a strategy document. What are your three things that you stand for? And go from there. And then how do you amplify them? I think that's beautiful. And as like Simon Sinek said, like the famous find your why, that's pretty much in line with what you're saying. So I think that's awesome. And I hope that whoever's listening to this is inspired to go out there, find their why, and then just take that small step, whatever that may be. Just super quick. I want to shine a light on Samantha one more. It's something that she always says is, you know, she has this nine to five job when we first did the, you know, the first six months of this, I had my nine to five job. And, you know, when we're going through points of challenge with those jobs where we're not feeling motivated, we're not feeling our heart is in it because, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's not where our true passion lies. We might be good at it one sense or the other, but whenever we're finding challenges in our client work, we always find ourselves coming back to wanting to work on great click because it's something that gives us motivation again. It like gives us a fire. It, it brings our energy back. It reminds us why we do what we do. And obviously, you know, we have our nine to fives, which is great. That's great, right? We're very blessed that we have jobs and we're able to work in a field that we studied a lot of time to go work in. But it, when when we, or even when we find challenge like in life, like when I was going to very tumultuous time in my life where I was deciding if I was gonna quit my job and move across the country, I found myself wanting to go and work on Women of GP because that's what I love to spend time on. It made me happy. It gave me fire. It gave me passion. And Samantha says it all the time. She's like, I'm pissed off by this one thing in my life. I'm going to go work on Great Click and be happy again. Like it, it's when you find that thing that you want to spend time on, don't make excuses for yourself because it's going to make you happier in the long run. And I think oh also it's God. so important. Yeah, sorry. It's <laughs> like your hobbies don't have to have an ROI. Like there doesn't have to be a return on investment. Like money doesn't have to come from this. Like truly this makes me a better employee. Actually, I perform better in my job because I have an outlet to be much more creative and much more confident so that when I do go to work and I pitch ideas or a concept, it's so much better. It's like well thought out. Like I've tested on other areas. Like grid click really provides me with an outlet to, to test different creative ideas. And then I go to work and I kind of try to incorporate them in like, not all of it. Like, I, you know, but like, yeah, it's about your passion. Hobbies are so important. And I think there's like an authenticity to what Sarah and I do. We're not looking when we're pitching people who work in motorsport, there's always an apprehension of like, what do they want from me? Do they want tickets to the GP? Do they want like, you know, do they want to get to the drivers? And it's like, no, 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 no. We just really want to talk about you. We want to spend an hour just talking about you. We don't want anything from you. And like that, there's like a certain delicateness that goes to talent acquisition or, or, or dealing with our talents that we we speak to. So, so yeah, I would say like that's the, that's the authenticity piece is like, we just love what we do. I love this so much. Like this is the most purest, like, <laughs> it's like, you know, when a child like discovers a toy or something that they like really, really love. And it's just like innocent, but so cute and pure. Like, mom, I just really want my like Scooby-Doo toy. And it's just like so like <laughs> pure and sincere. Like I, that's like both of you guys talking about this right now. Like, it's like, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like you, I can hear the sincerity in your voice and like the love and the like reverence, I guess. It's just so, it's very, very pure. And I, I, I love this and I wish you guys like continued success. And I know I said one more, like, that was my last question, but my final, final, true last question is, if you could describe yourself as a car, what would it be? I don't know my own, but I know Samantha's. Oh, okay. Actually, no. Yeah. Plot twist. If you could describe each other as a car. Oh my God. Um, yeah, you have an idea of what I was. So go ahead. What else would you be? Of course, you're a Ferrari. Oh. I, I, 
pronounce it correctly, but like, you know, she's yeah. an Italian queen who's so supportive of her home country and just the drivers are amazing and the cars are amazing and management for the most part is amazing. I mean, even to the granular level, if you want to get to the granular level, the drivers are so supportive of each other. And even though they compete, they are there for each other no matter what. And they also, last year was their first year racing together. I don't know, I'm seeing a lot of similarities here that I've never thought about Samantha. So I'm saying she is, she is the Ferrari. She looks great in red. Yeah. And she looks great in red. <laughs> oh, that's, I like this plot twist. Thank you. Um, oh my God, like 100% of McLaren. Would you agree? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So not only does Sarah like rep their colors, but they're like, they're not an American team. They're very much an English team, but like their CEO is American. He's very innovative in like, like if you look at it from a comms smart com perspective, like they are miles ahead of like everyone else in the content that they're creating. And that's Sarah. Sarah's miles ahead. Like I'll say a speck of something. She's like miles ahead of me. She's like, oh yeah, I already thought of it. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like she, not only is it a fast car, it's dependable. The colors, she's very like, Sarah's not flashy. She's very much like in black, but she, she like loves classics. And like McLaren is a classic winning car. And that's my girl. Oh my God. I like love the girl love here. Like this is, this is so wonderful. And I think, yeah, for the record, both are amazing cars. (laughs) From my limited knowledge to without knowing all the backstory of like the teams and the CEO, I think, yeah, wise choice is what I will say to both of you. (laughs) If our listeners want to follow you or they want to hear more of what you have to say on where can they find you guys? So we're on Instagram on grid click so that's g-r-i-d-c-l-i-q-u-e and then um well we have our usernames tagged in there as well that's you know where you can really find us talking about motorsport stuff if you want to hear more about our personal lives my username is sarah lev with two underscores that's sarah with nate with l-e-v underscore underscore mine's samantha's social so um samantha with an h and there's two S's, so Samantha's social kind of thing. And uh, yeah, we're just going to like inundate you with so much motorsport. But if you have any questions about like the race or like who's who, we'll give you the best answers we can. Or if we don't have that answers, we know someone who does. So we love being conduits to relationships and people meeting and brokering. And that's also like a fun part of us. But yeah. Go check out their content and then you'll find a Grand Prix buddy to go watch the Grand Prix with. <laughs> yeah, literally. Exactly. If you want to learn more about the sport, we are there. If you want to learn more about how to get a career in motorsport, we are there. If you want to even figure out how this freaking sport works, we're there. If you want to meet people, we're there. So it's an amazing, it's a truly amazing community. And, you know, everyone, everyone is welcome. Oh Thank you for God. having us, Shuba. Of course. We're going to end this episode with a quote. And since you folks are the special guests, I would love for you to do the honors. I love the one by like Nadi Komenich. Uh, it's like, I know how to smile. I know how to laugh. I know how to play. But I know how to do these things only after I've fulfilled my mission. And I think that that shows so much self-worth, self-respect, self-dedication. And one thing along that line that I like to say to myself, like when I get really in the weeds or you know, want to forget about the details or be like, no one will notice that I've not put a comma here. One thing that I think Nadia would also like really appreciate, um, she and I are on first name basis apparently, but um, <laughs> how you do one thing is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. So like how you make your bed in the morning or not is how you like also show up at work or also like do X, Y, and Z. You know, I carry that too. Also how I show up for Sarah or how I show up for other people in my life. I actually took this morning and we 
this amount of focus, I think it's also super applicable to what we talked about is you should never stay at the same level. Always push yourself to the next. And that is what Samantha and I have done in our personal lives, in our professional lives. You know, I mean, even myself, again, I never saw myself starting a business and I just pushed myself to do what we did. We never saw ourselves restarting our socials and we just did it, right? And you have to push yourself to get to the next level. And I think that that's such an important thing to remember because you are the only person who's going to be with you for the rest of your life and you're going to be your biggest supporter. You're going to hope that other people are going to be there to support you too, but nobody's going to make you take that step. You're the only one that can actually take that step. So I think that's something important to remember. This has been such a fun, inspiring, humbling, motivating, empowering conversation. And I'm so glad that you guys were kind enough to join me on my platform and chat with me. This has been like so, so much fun. And yeah, I wish you guys continued success with Women of Grand Prix, like whichever way it goes, even though you folks that you're sunsetting it, but like whatever happens, like I wish you continued success with that. And of course with GridClick and who knows, like the many more other platforms. Iterations? Yeah, many more other iterations to come. So thank you I so much. Not. <laughs> maybe other platforms we'll say other platforms yeah sure. we're also on tiktok we forgot to say that we just oh yeah silently sure. launched that <laughs> we're new on tiktok actually thank you so much guys and have a lovely rest of the evening and yeah i loved having you guys on here that brings us to the end of this episode i hope you folks enjoyed that i drop bi-weekly episodes so join me next time for another stimulating and inspiring conversation if you want to stay in the loop follow me on instagram at passion bites podcast and on twitter at passion bites pod for more related content and some pick-me-ups in the middle of your week like comment and share the content and podcast with friends and family and on that note if you haven't already take this as a sign to get out there and start practicing your passion I'll see you folks next time.